This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Louise Ma. Welcome to Treasure Trove. It's a funny little thing. It documents a really strange provisional space. It is a kind of monument to excess. Stories from our galleries and archives. It's just an unbelievably tragic story. It's really timeless. We're looking at a larger-than-life-size portrait of Helena Rubinstein by Graham Sutherland, one of the great British portrait painters of the 20th century. I'm sitting on a smooth wooden bench with Angus Trumbull, director of the National Portrait Gallery. This large, dramatic painting is on the wall in front of us. Sutherland himself said at the time he painted this portrait in 1957 that she looked like an empress. And she certainly does. He's painted her in a Balenciaga red brocade gown. And she sat for him twice in London and Paris. And before he left Paris, he clipped a swatch from the gown so that he could take it back to his studio and, as you see, concentrate on evoking the magnificence of the gown. Cosmetics queen Helena Rubinstein was 85 when this portrait was painted, at the height of her power and wealth. Her dark hair is pulled back from her wide forehead into a bunch of curls. She looks to the left, her chin tilted up, her eyebrows thin, her face heavily made up with eyeliner, rouge and lipstick. She's wearing big purple rings, a large jewelled earring and ropes of pearls. Yes, she was a scattergun collector of pretty much everything, but she was a particularly uh, self-indulgent collector of magnificent jewels. The seven strands of enormous pearls she was particularly famous for. She had, from the beginning of her career, really made a point of making her personal appearance and glamour part of her myth and part of the sales strategy of her business. Helena Rubinstein came to Australia as a young woman from Poland in 1896. She lived with an uncle who ran a mixed business in the small Victorian town of Coleraine. Well, the myth that she carefully embroidered throughout her life was that she brought with her 12 pots of her mother's face cream. Uh, which were so popular with the local women of Coleraine that it gave her the idea of the business. The truth is somewhat different. A number of steps had to happen before she set up her shop in Melbourne, including several periods of domestic service and a period waitressing in Melbourne in an establishment called the Café Doré in Swanston Street, and then at an artist's haunt in the Block Arcade. And she told a story, didn't she, that she got the money to open her first shop from people that she'd met on the ship coming out to Australia. Was that true? It was not true. Um, Instead, we know that a man called James Thompson, who was general manager of the Robert Tea Company, provided £100 in seeding capital, which is the only money that she claimed ever to have borrowed. Um, Why would he have lent that to her? Well, her somewhat disloyal former secretary after her death wrote a very kind of myth-debunking book in which he implied that there had been something improper between Helena Rubinstein and James Thompson. They certainly can be independently placed in separate accommodations in the same boarding house in St Kilda, so we just simply don't know. So what was in Helena's first famous face cream? 
the Wonder product was called Valaz. She claimed that it was expensively imported from Russia. It had been concocted by Dr. Lukuski, uh, whose existence we have not been able to confirm. I think he was fictitious. Instead, we know that it was run up locally in the firm of Felton Grimwade in Flinders Lane and consisted largely of lanolin, wax and cheap scent. She was not above using bleach. Nevertheless, the advertorial claimed that this was a wonder product that contained rare herbs from the Carpathian Mountains in the region of southern Poland where she came from. There was a constant narrative of scarcity. Instead, we know that it had a unit cost of something like sixpence and she sold it for six shillings. So that was a markup of some, you know, 680%. Why do you think she was so successful in those early days in Melbourne? Uh, There were other salons and purveyors of skin nostrums. The genuine point of difference, which seems to have been both prescient and a stroke of genius, was that she employed the tag, beauty is power, which was quite different from the sort of eliminate blotches line or the sort of um, aromatic vapours arising from the couch of Mrs Ralph Ward, for instance, who practised in the same building for some years. Beauty as power seemed to strike an extraordinarily powerful chord with Edwardian women. And indeed, it took her to London and then Paris and New York, and the rest is history. Rubenstein built an international cosmetics empire. She established a philanthropic foundation and famously feuded with competitors Elizabeth Arden and Revlon. She died in 1965, leaving a business valued at more than $60 million. But what was she like as a person? She was tough to the extent that we can know her. She was irascible, impatient, changeable, fluctuated between great bouts of flamboyant extravagance, especially with regard to her costume, but also habitual meanness and penny-pinching. She was obviously, she had a genius for business. And also in later years, long after her Australian sojourn, which was 11 years, she almost single-handedly eradicated the stigma in the United States surrounding cosmetics. In the beginning, it's very interesting to note how often her publicity emphasises that this product is not a cosmetic, it's a skin food that will, you know, refresh and revive and rejuvenate the complexion naturally. However, it only took 30 or 40 years for her to, as you see in the portrait, Sutherland was obviously fascinated by her makeup. She has very, very striking lipstick, rather extravagant rouge, and of course mascara all of which were anathema in the period when she started. These were techniques that were confined to the stage and effectively besmirched by the stage as well. But she actually can claim to have pretty much single-handedly eradicated that stigma. What do you like about this portrait? I think it's the brilliance of draftsmanship, the high-keyed palette, the extraordinary characterization. I mean, I I agree with Sutherland, she, she is, effectively here an empress, even if only an empress of face cream.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Treasure Trove, stories from our galleries and archives. I'm Louise Ma from ABC Radio Canberra. To subscribe to Treasure Trove or any of our podcasts, download the ABC Listen app. <laughs>